Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 22nd of May, year of our Lord, 2020. And that little nice little jingle you heard, well, that's a new Twitter video. Yeah. Well, what is that video, Tony? Well, it'll start off our podcast today. We've got a good one. News, social media nuggets, a little media bias, covering a little bit of everything. Some COVID, we're still in lockdown, and some ugly... But I wanted to start the show with this because it's a new Twitter feature to end ratioing. They're rolling out this feature for testing. Everyone is still welcome to like the tweets, but this isn't if original poster so chooses. Keep in mind this comes right on the heels of Twitter auto Karen feature that asks if you really want to send that possibly hurtful tweet like, but fat is a synonym for morbid to be obese, right? And we have that on our show today because Trump's fat. That wasn't blocked on Twitter. No, no, that's okay, but calling everybody else is. So, testing, testing, a new way to have a combo exactly who you want. We're starting with a small percent globally, so keep your out to see it in action, which is journalists. That's who they started with, blue checks. Journalists complained so much about getting ratio, they built a new safe space feature on Twitter. Anything to protect those blue checks and insinuate, insulate them from dumb things they say. Gee, I wonder if this was implemented just because verified idiots complain about getting ratioed on Twitter. One step closer to making Twitter a safe space where ideas can't be challenged and anyone with opposing views doesn't have the permission to speak. So, oh, they're all replies to it because you know who started it. Brian fucking Steltzer. His hashtag save the news story, by the way, calls for public money to be used to bail out journalists. Drew Holden, that's Seltzer sharing a story about why public money should bail out journalists as a way that prevents the everyday person from engaging with sad story. It's stupendously on the nose. Jonathan Swan, late to this, but what a terrible idea. Getting severely ratio teaches you things you might not learn otherwise. Twitter ought to preserve the good old feature of this godforsaken platform. And Nicholas Fondacaro. Is this the kind of news that needed to be saved? This looks like state TV to me. P.S. Why do you have comments restricted? Can't take criticism? We'll play it in a second. But to make sure you understand, unless you follow this person, you can't respond to it. That's the feature. And... Most people don't follow Brian Seltzer because he's a jackhole and Twitter feeds us to him if we want him or not. But yeah, that, that's what they did. And to what Nicholas Fondacaro, this is news on CNN, the Cuomo brothers. You had video come out before we go to break where you wanted to encourage people to get tested and some people are afraid it's going to hurt. 
So you had video of it that I want to show the audience of you actually getting tested. Um, here it is. There's you. You were kind of funny. And they were testing you. Um, now, a few questions about this process. First of all, is it true that when you were having the test administered, you inhaled and the doctor's finger went all the way up your nose and got stuck and had to be released with a tool? Is that true? Just to, just to deal no, with the record. She, she, she wanted to comment that I have a little button nose mm. and she was afraid that the swab would actually hurt because it, it extended my uh, nasal cavity. The proboscis uh, issue. speaking about the delicacy of, of, the, of the nose. And that's what, you know what, I understand. This is the normal swab I'm holding up here now for everybody at home. A very valuable object. There's only one company in the entire country that makes these up in Maine. All right, here's the swab. Is it true that this was the swab that the nurse was actually using on you and that at first... It went into your nose and disappeared so that in scale, this was the actual swab that was being used to fit up that double barrel shotgun that you have mounted on the front of your pretty face. See, I said I was going to be nice and sweet. I just want to yes, no. And was, I was it trying. this? I was trying. Or was it this? Very hard. Look, <laughs> which was it? <laughs> I mean, ask him about why he didn't count nursing home deaths and all the stuff we're going to do in our COVID section today, which all surrounds New York. Yeah. We're not covering that on CNN. We're just circle jerking with your brother, the gigantic swab. Mm-hmm. Carpe Dunkum decided to dunk on Brian. Hey, Brian, here are your messages from the rest of the Internet. Type, type as fast as you can. You still can't reply, I'm a potato head man. Somebody <laughs> photoshopped that in. Other ones. I love that I received one comment in over two hours and still it was negative. You are non-essential. Tell him to enjoy his little hug box. Do the letters F-O mean anything to you, Brian? Tell Tater he's a bigger pussy than we thought. Afraid to get comments that aren't from friends reinforcing his bubble. Someone, Brian Seltzer, can't take the criticism. It seems fake news alert. Dear Brian, Trump will still be your president. TP forts will not save your network. <laughs> I'm not going to read anymore. It's so fucking good. It's so good. These guys, they're not like William Shatner, who gets ratioed all the time by people that hate him. So, Jack, I'm not one to rant, but this Twitter comms tweet was really childish and immature. Not only was it mean-spirited, but especially in these times, people want a platform that runs by sensible types. I found this tweet to show a repugnant side of Twitter. You should be ashamed. Unifying labor, a journalist. The feature itself is constructed to isolate commentary. It will be used to silo conversations and ultimately undermine what folks actually like about Twitter. Not the best idea for long-term viability of the platform, but I'm sure Jack knows that. But they don't believe our media in the First Amendment. This is an MSDNC soundbite, and I'm just going in today. It's going to be a hodgepodge. There's no First Amendment when you're talking about COVID. That terrific 
Carnegie Mellon study shows that people are receptive to this stuff because they don't know about it. And that's one of the things that's so mm -hmm. pernicious about Donald Trump, whom I call the disinformationist in chief in the book, is that he is echoing these things. So he's not only echoing conspiracy theories, but then the conspiracy theorists and the bots echo the disinformation and misinformation that he's giving out there. It's a kind of a, a terrible combination of things, and it makes people even more insecure. You know, I want to ask you why the social media companies don't have more power and authority at a time when it's a health crisis. I understand in the context of an American political election, you've got free speech to navigate. But what is the right to spread lies about a deadly pandemic? Where's that? I, I think it's a much easier call, as you suggest. I mean, political speech is complicated. Uh, the First Amendment protects it. The First Amendment doesn't protect false speech about a virus or false speech that endangers the health of, of your users. And by the way, uh, Facebook and Twitter have been taking things down, but they need to be even more vigilant about it. And Google needs to be even more vigilant about what they prioritize in their search results. And they need to pri prioritize factual information in their search results rather than emotional and inflammatory conspiracy theories that get people's eyes. And now more than ever, we need First Amendment. We need people to get the truth out because the media is not going to do it. The New York Times finally covered it, where New Yorkers moved to escape coronavirus. May 16, 2020, New York Times exposed how the wealthy residents escaped from NYC as a coronavirus spread. 56 thousand of them and the biggest impact Florida they've been dogging GOP governors on how they handled it even though Florida did an outstanding job compared to fucking New York City and a shit ton of them went down there by month postal forwarding 80,000 60 40 20 they started bailing in January. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Some of them moved within New York. Most of them did not. They went south. And when they did it, they drug it. They even cover how Chicago did it. How all these rich liberals who live in urban centers decided to say fuck it and bail when you weren't supposed to. Stephen Miller, Red States. New Yorkers flee their infested hellhole. Florida sees a sudden influx in cases. New York media blames Florida governor. Gives New York governor a pass for cramming nursing homes and not wiping down the P-trains. Yeah. Simultaneously, the New York Times ran enthuses over occupied Democrats. Immigrant twin brothers battled Trump machine and made a big deal about somebody who's fighting back at him. Occupied Democrats is a rare bright spot. Yeah, they ran that shit too. But that that is just unbelievable that we had one report and a conservative one. They ignore it for months and then finally we break out the facts. 56,000 rich people let left. And within the area, 80,000. So 56,000 left the state, 14,000 or 24,000 stayed within the state 
and they spread it outside of the state. So, up front, I, I had to cover that. Twitter's going to censor you, so journals can be in their little fucking safe space while they ignore everything around them. Which brings us into some more hate. Tom Steyer and Viro Nonprofit comparing female Republican senators to trash cans. Next Gen America. They ran Susan Collins, Martha McSally, uh, Joni Ernst, Mitch McConnell, and Lindsey Graham and Thomas Tillis. And they literally, that's, that's their tweet. Pictures of fucking garbage cans, whatever color they're wearing. That's on Twitter. That's free speech. Yeah, just make, make sure you know that. And then the big thing this week was Mika Brzezinski and Scarborough. And we have so many sound bites. All right, we're going to go with the, the big hubbub this morning. It started with them getting in a Twitter thing. And basically by the end of this, she's getting a meeting with Jack to try to take down Trump's account. Her tweets, Twitter needs to know why Trump is not banned. I'll be reaching out the head of Twitter and their policies being violated every day by Trump. Jack, please take my call today. Please stop allowing your platform policies to be abused by the day. It's called libel. And here's some sound. Nancy Pelosi even got involved. Aside from the fact that most believe that this president has botched this crisis from the get-go, and this will be known in history worldwide as a human catastrophe that he could have prevented. Um, and he's trying to deflect at all times. And Willie and Mike, he's uh, tweeting again all sorts of crazy things. Uh, once again, uh, tweeting conspiracy theories about Joe falsely accusing him of murder, talking about the death of a young staffer in his congressional office years ago and calling him dangerous to walk the streets. And I'll just say, I'll take a point of personal privilege here. That's sick. Donald, you're a sick person. You're a sick person. To put this family through this, to put her husband through this, to do this just because you're mad at Joe because Joe got you again today, because he speaks the truth and he speaks plainly about your lack of interest and empathy in others and your lack of ability to handle this massive human catastrophe, the fact that you've made it worse and that you make it worse every day and that you won't even wear a mask to protect people from your germs. But the germs you're spreading on Twitter, first of all, Twitter, you shouldn't be allowing this and you should be taking these tweets down and you should be ashamed of yourself. You'll be hearing from me on this because this is BS. But Donald, you're a sick person. You're really a cruel, sick, disgusting person. And you can keep tweeting about Joe, but you're just hurting other people. And of course, you're hurting yourself. Willie, why don't you take final thoughts? I'm done. Well, it's sick for all the reasons you lay out, obviously, about the family, but it's also sick in the context of what the country is going through as we push toward 100,000 deaths and more than a million and a half cases, which he calls a badge of honor. That's the sickness, the larger sickness, which is that that should be his sole focus, but he's ready to turn the corner, Mike. Um, there are the numbers. The numbers do not lie. That's what's happening in the country right now. We wish it weren't that way, but it is. And many Americans wish they had a president who wasn't tweeting conspiracy theories about our co-hosts, but was focused on getting people well, 
getting people tested and actually moving the country through this, not imagining that the country has moved through this or hoping, as he does, that the country has put it behind it. Um, on a different topic, um, and because uh, you brought it up on Twitter again today, is it appropriate for the president to accuse a TV host of murder on Twitter? I'm sorry, to do what? To accuse a TV host of murder on Twitter. I, I, I'm this is sorry, the Joe Scarborough. What did he do? This is the Joe Scarborough issue. Uh, he tweeted last Tuesday that uh, he wondered if he'd gotten away with murder. He retweeted this morning about uh, Psycho, this is called Psycho Joe. Are you talking about Joe Scarborough? Yes. Is it appropriate for the president to do that on Twitter? To do that in general? You're asking me about the appropriateness of the actions of this president of the United States? So completely inappropriate in so many ways uh, that it's almost a given. It's like a child that comes in with mud on their pants or something. It, it, that's the way it is. They're outside playing. That's what it is. He comes in with doggy do on his shoes, and everybody who works with him has that on their shoes, too, for a very long time to come. So, I don't know, I hear doctors talk to me about saying, uh, uh, you know, what's the matter with him, uh, uh, the things he says are so inappropriate for a president of the United States. The comments he makes about women, the comments he makes about women, so inappropriate. So, no, I don't think it's appropriate. But, again, there's a market for it, obviously, and that's what he plays to. What is there's a word somebody used to me? Uh, they said, you would understand it better if you knew what a confabulator is. Confabulator? Confabulator is. Look up the word confabulator. Somebody just really doesn't even know what the truth is and just says anything. And because he says it, then he believes it. But this, you know what? Forget about him. This is about how we go forward to help save lives, save the livelihood in, uh, of our people by saving our economy, and how we prepare ourselves to go into the future in a very positive way. It's just something that is in our midst uh, that we have to deal with, and we would hope that the American people would see very clearly whatever they think of him, love him or not, love yourself. Vote for your interests, because if you're a person who's lost your job through no fault of your own, this Heroes Bill, this Heroes Act, this bill's for you. Lizzie Lou Who kind of sums it up, and then I'll rant. Sorry people have been doxxed and threatened with rape on our death. Twitter can't come to the phone right now. It's putting a TV personality has a mean thing said to her at the front of the line. LOL, the irony of censorship and Trump is literally Hitler narrative, which once again, is spot on. All the things said every day on Twitter about Trump, Trump voters, Southerners, Christians, pro-life. Mika? Jesus Christ, just this week, I'll just play a montage. Here's Mika going on about some bullshit. Trump's fat. And even a soundbite back in the day before they started hating him of her primping his fucking hair. Now, the U.S. leads the world in coronavirus cases by a lot. The U.S. is just over 4% of the world's population, yet represents 31% total cases. And the president somehow thinks that's a good thing.
When we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far fewer cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honor. Really, it's a badge of honor. It's a great tribute to the testing and all of the work that a lot of professionals have done. I mean, aside from the fact that most believe that this president has botched this crisis from the get-go, and this will be known in history worldwide as a human catastrophe that he could have prevented. Um, and he's trying to deflect at all times. And Willie and Mike, he's uh, tweeting again all sorts of crazy things. Uh, once again, uh, tweeting conspiracy theories about Joe, falsely accusing him of murder, talking about the death of a young staffer in his congressional office years ago and calling him dangerous to walk the streets. And I'll just say, I'll take a point of personal privilege here. That's sick. Donald, you're a sick person. You're a sick person. To put this family through this, to put her husband through this, to do this just because you're mad at Joe because Joe got you again today, because he speaks the truth and he speaks plainly about your lack of interest and empathy in others and your lack of ability to handle this massive human catastrophe, the fact that you've made it worse and that you make it worse every day and that you won't even wear a mask to protect people from your germs. But the germs you're spreading on Twitter, first of all, Twitter, you shouldn't be allowing this and you should be taking these tweets down and you should be ashamed of yourself. You'll be hearing from me on this because this is BS. But, Donald, you're a sick person. You're really a cruel, sick, disgusting person. And you can keep tweeting about Joe, but you're just hurting other people. And, of course, you're hurting yourself. Willie, why don't you... Our data is available. Our data is transparent. In fact, Dr. Burks has talked multiple times about how Florida has the absolute best data. So any insinuation otherwise is just typical partisan narrative trying to be spun and part of the reason is that because you got a lot of people in your profession who waxed poetically for weeks and weeks about how florida was going to be just like new york wait two weeks florida's going to be next just like italy wait two weeks well hell we're eight weeks away from that and it hasn't happened not only do we have a lower death rate well we have way lower deaths generally we have a lower death rate than the acela quarter dc everyone up there we have a lower rate death rate than the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio. But even in our region, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Florida has the lower death rate. And I was the number one landing spot from tens of thousands of people leaving the number one hot zone in the world to come to my state. So we succeeded, and I think that people just don't want to recognize it because it challenges their narrative it challenges their assumption so they got to try to find a boogeyman maybe it's that there are black helicopters circling the department of health if you believe that um, i got a bridge in brooklyn i'd like to sell you last question he's saying he's taking uh, hydroxychloroquine something something that a guy who's old in his mid-70s who's I don't know. What is he? He's 270, 275, 280. More. Yeah. He's got he's got a lot of comorbidities. And a guy like that who eats badly, doesn't sleep, uh, 
no doctor is going to let him take a drug that his own administration, the Trump administration, has said could cause uh, heart problems in 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 older patients with with comorbidities, and he is the definition of that. So. As far as the president is concerned, um, the, uh, our, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. So I, I, uh, I, I think it was, it's not a good idea. Country has a new straight talker. We showed that to you at the top of the show, but it was worth hearing it again because the president was asked about it a short time ago and at first dismissed it, but then just couldn't help himself a few minutes later. Oh, I don't, I don't respond to her. I think she's a waste of time. These people are sick. Pelosi is a sick woman. She's got a lot of problems, a lot of mental problems. We're dealing with people that have to get their act together for the good of the country. Joining us now, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Um, Madam Speaker, what you said is actually something that can be corroborated in the White House's release of the president's last physical, which is that his weight does qualify him as being morbidly obese. Is that what you were saying, or did you know it would elicit this kind of reaction from the president? No, I had no idea. I didn't know that he would be so sensitive. He's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. So I, I, uh, I, I think it was, it's not a good idea. Country has a new straight talker. We showed that to you at the top of the show, but it was worth hearing it again because the president was asked about it a short time ago and at first dismissed it, but then just couldn't help himself a few minutes later. Oh, I don't, I don't respond to her. I think she's a waste of time. These people are sick. Pelosi is a sick woman. She's got a lot of problems, a lot of mental problems. We're dealing with people that have to get their act together for the good of the country. Joining us now, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Um, Madam Speaker, what you said is actually something that can be corroborated in the White House's release of the president's last physical, which is that his weight does qualify him as being morbidly obese. Was, is that what you were saying, or did you know it would elicit this kind of reaction from the president? No, I had no idea. I didn't know that he would be so sensitive. He's always talking about other people's avoir de poids, their weight, their pounds. Uh, so that, but I, I really, I don't even want to spend any more time on his distraction, uh, because as you see in the last couple of days, uh, so much of the time has been spent on what he said. Uh, rather than that, I think you should recognize that his words weigh a ton. Instead of telling putting people to put Lysol into their lungs or taking a medication uh, that has not been approved under, except under certain circumstances. He should be saying what your previous guest mentioned, things that would help people. But let's not dwell on him. What we have to dwell on is over 90,000 Americans have died, have lost their lives to this, uh, this villainous virus and a, hundred, a million and a half infected. Uh, we don't really know the full total of it. That's why our HEROES Act says test, 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 trace, and uh, uh, treat uh, so that we can uh, 
lower the amount of people who are dying because we know earlier uh, if they are infected. Let us, again, honor our heroes who are fighting the fight, our health care workers, our first responders, and the rest who risk their lives to save lives and now may lose their jobs because of state and local budgets uh, going down the drain. And again, let us do so in a way uh, that keeps all of those that, that, who died in our hearts forever. This is a scar on America. Madam Speaker, I worked in the White House. But all that's okie-dokie. It's okay for you all to do that. I mean, here's SC Cup. It's justification by but Trump. Let me end the suspense. Trump calling multiple women fat, slobs, pigs, dogs. He's bragging about grabbing us by the pussy. He attacked female journalists and wished we'd be more like a subservient 1950 housewife. So yeah, when Pelosi calls them obese, I find it fucking hilarious. Carmine Sabina. I'm wondering if SC Cup and others would find it knee-slapping hilarious if Donald Trump called someone morbidly obese, or would word the word fat-shaming be trending? I want to make sure we were playing by the same real rule book, because that was the rule book. Yeah, he may have said it, but we went on for three weeks about how inappropriate, sexist. Uh, we went crazy over him making a face about a guy that they thought was mentally impaired. That was like a month and a half. But censorship. He needs to be taken down. Twitter's putting little safety cages for these little twats while all this shit's coming out around us. So we have the first fleeing... We'll have nursing homes in a second. And then Trump to bait him, which has started the whole fat thing. Hydrochloroquine. Man, if I ever hear that word again, I'm going to fucking vomit. But, yeah, they lost their shit because he threw it out. I'm taking it. Under intense criticism, President Trump today defended his decision to take hydroxychloroquine, brushing aside potentially serious side effects. Kristen Welker has late details. Tonight, President Trump increasingly defiant about his decision to take the controversial anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine, despite no evidence yet that it prevents coronavirus. Still, the White House released a statement from the president's own doctor saying, quote, after numerous discussions, we concluded the potential benefit from the treatment outweighed the relative risks. One of the president's valets tested positive, so did the vice president's press secretary. But Pence says hydroxychloroquine is not for him. Uh, my physician has not recommended that, but I, w- I wouldn't hesitate to take the counsel of my doctor or any American should do likewise. Later during a cabinet meeting, the president defended his decision. Just talking about as a line of defense, I'm dealing with a lot of people. Look at all the people in the room. You know, I'm the president and I'm dealing with a lot of people. Calling on his health and human services secretary to back him up. We are still working on some controlled studies earlier in the disease progression to see if we can measure the effectiveness of it in preventing the replication of the virus and spread in mild to moderate cases rather than the more serious. And that data is still pending. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi reacting. I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. Sparking a bitter back and forth today. Oh, I don't, I don't respond to her. I think she's a waste of time. Pelosi is a sick woman. She's got a lot of problems, a lot of mental problems. I didn't know that he would be so sensitive. He's always talking about other people's avoir de poids, their weight, their pounds. His words weigh it. 
Good evening, and it's great to have you with us here tonight as we begin another week together as America begins the slow and very challenging task of reopening. But it was the president who late today surprised reporters when he said he has been taking hydroxychloroquine for a week and a half. He said he asked a White House doctor who then approved it, and the president added it was preventative, that he has not been exposed to COVID-19. But, of course, it led to immediate questions about why he's taking it, with the FDA warning that no one should be taking the drug for coronavirus outside a hospital or clinical trial. President Trump says he is taking hydroxychloroquine. It's a commonly used anti-malaria drug that he's repeatedly promoted as a game-changer for treating coronavirus. Just last month, the FDA warned doctors about the risks of using that drug on coronavirus patients, including serious heart problems, and said it had not been shown to be safe or effective. But tonight, the president appears to be brushing aside those concerns, saying it was his idea to take the drug, along with zinc, as a way to prevent catching the virus. Tonight, stunning news from President Trump, revealing he takes the anti-malaria drug hydroxychloroquine, a controversial medicine that Mr. Trump has touted as a potential treatment for coronavirus, despite limited evidence to back that up and research showing potentially dangerous side effects. The president saying he has taken one pill per day for the past week and a half. And while no one recommended he take the drug, Mr. Trump said he did consult with the White House doctor beforehand. Tonight, the FDA not commenting on President Trump ignoring its warning, but in the past has said since hydroxychloroquine is approved to treat other illnesses, the decision to use it for COVID-19 is really Really up to the patient and their doctor. White House officials, including the physician here, have not said. Well, it did seem like everybody's mouth had dropped open because experts seem to be warning against just taking it because of potentially <laughs> deadly side effects. But just this morning, his press secretary backed him up with this claim. Now, Joy, do you believe he's taken hydroxychloroquine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I can't pronounce it. I've tried all morning. I just hydrochloroquine. Yes. Yeah. Hydrochloroquine. Um, so do you believe right. he's taking that? I can't believe. No, I can't believe it. I just stocked up on Clorox, and now he comes up with this. You know, here's the thing. He says he's been on this thing for two and a half weeks or something. But when you read the side effects, psychosis, paranoia, hair loss... I think he's been on it for three and a half years. <laughs> no, seriously? Seriously, yeah. I think that he's lying. Yeah. He lies about everything. You know, so I think he's lying. Right. He's distracting from Pompeo and the IG scandal. He's, Joe Biden is kicking right. his butt in the polls. Uh, he's losing senior citizen votes all over the place. Even in swing states like Arizona might be turning blue. Uh, his attacks on Obama are going nowhere. He will distract you anything that makes him look bad. And this... This all this stuff that's going on right now makes him look bad. Did you just say that you took the hydrochloroquine? I'm like my sound yes, is a little weird. Yes, I took it. Wow, I, I can't believe anybody with a brain would take that stuff. But you seem like an intelligent guy. You're a representative in Congress. Yeah. Why would you take that drug? There are terrible consequences. What about the people now that will rush out to buy that medication or try to attain that medication because the president said he is taking it? What about the people that really need it that suffer from, let's say, lupus? Now there'll be a shortage. So that also indicates that it just isn't smart for him to advertise that he is taking Oh, my God. That was... I, I, do I think he's taking it? No. Could his doctor have given it? Sure. But once again, all this reporting, it's not the doctor gave it. He's just taking it.
He just takes it all by himself because that's what he does. I mean, he just takes shit. He just he owns everything. He makes it. Remember that was the whole thing. He's producing it, and he has stock in a company, which means he's making it. But let's be honest. Here's an article. Here's how Chris Cuomo reportedly got his hands on the less safe version of hydrochloroquine. It gets weirder. Weirder. Kaylee McCaney took Chris Cuomo to the woodshed this afternoon after his mockery of Donald Trump. I think I have the sound bite. Let's just play the sound bite. Oxychloroquine has been a drug that has been in use for 65 years um, for lupus, arthritis, and malaria. It has a very good safety profile, but um, it, as with any drug and as with any prescription, it should be given by a doctor to a patient in that context, so no one should be taking this without a prescription from their doctor. But that being said, I've seen a lot of apoplectic coverage of hydroxychloroquine. You had Jimmy Kimmel saying the president's, quote, trying to kill himself by taking it. You had Joe Scarborough saying, quote, this will kill you. Neil Cavuto saying, what have you got to lose? Um, one thing you have to lose are, are lives. Um, and you had Chris Cuomo saying, the president knows that hydroxychloroquine is not su- supported by science. He knows it has been flagging, flagged by his own people, and he's using it. Um, well, Cuomo mocked the president for this. Um, and interestingly, I found this out just before coming here, um, hydroxychloroquine, of course, is an FDA-approved medication with a long-proven track record for safety, and it turns out um, that Chris Cuomo took a a less safe version um, of it called Quinine, which the FDA removed from the market in 2006 because of its serious side effects, including death. So really interesting to have that criticism of the president. And on that note to Chris Cuomo, I'd like to redirect him to his brother, the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, um, who has several on-the-record statements about hydroxychloroquine, saying, I'm an optimist, I'm hopeful about the drug, and that's That's why we'll try it here in New York as soon as we get it. There has been anecdotal evidence that it's promising. That's why we're going ahead. And I have about eight other quotes from Governor Cuomo, should any of you have interest in that. You just cited studies, though. There are trials that are in their early phases. Do you have any evidence that thousands of frontline workers are currently using it because they believe it actually will prevent them? It's pathetic that a press secretary has to cover this stuff, but that's how we are. But do we remember? Greg Price brings it back up. CNN Como mocked Trump yesterday for using chloroquine as a preventive treatment of COVID-19. As it turns out, he used a synthetic derivative of chloroquine in his own corona treatment regimen, according to his wife's blog post. I present a very Frito story, and we covered it. Chris Cuomo, no worries, they can just take some chloroquine. And he made fun of it, but we already covered it on the show. I'm not even going to read it. We, we did it. The purest bleach baths. Do you remember? RB Pundit. In a normal world, CNN would suspend Chris Cuomo for embarrassing the network like this, but CNN isn't a real news organization with a reputation to uphold. If you're wondering how Chris Cuomo obtained Quinn, a version of chloroquine that the FDA took off the market, his wife blog says that she's enlisted the help of an energy medicine physician. Remember? Do we remember? But he's not going to remember because he's a fucking hypocrite. Every cell in our body are like batteries. There's a positive and a negative uh, force field that creates this integrity in our cells. And we emanate out because we are physical and we are energy. In the physical, in the physical sense, we are not alive unless we have etheric energy. Our etheric energy is our life force. So, 
We have this subtle part of us that interpenetrates in threads of light that fill our physical body. That makes us alive. When we pass on, there will only be material here, and that etheric body will move on. Besides having a subtle part of our physical, which we call the physical etheric double, we have an astral body. Our astral body is our emotional body. It is how we relate to the world. It is our connection to the stars. We have an astral body that interpenetrates with the etheric force field of the life force of our body. And then we have a mental field or body. This mental body interpenetrates in the emotional and the physical and etheric. And that mental body is the way we think, not your brain, but the way we think, how we reach towards our goals in life, how we want spirituality. I didn't set that up very good. That's the doctor. That's the doctor that he saw and got all this shit. But that's him. The guy is a fucking twat. Cuomo slams Trump for coronavirus in action. Cuomo primetime. President Trump, of course, refuses to wear a mask, says Chris Cuomo. That's all you need to know about this president. Forget the reset, the rest of the noise about what he's taking or what he's doing. History remember his as a story of inaction. Here's Chris Cuomo losing his shit. So the model cited by the White House for reopening implication projects less deaths between now and August. If and only if people wear masks. So Trump, of course, refuses to wear one. That's all you need to know about this president. Forget the rest of the noise about what he's taking or what he's doing. History will remember his as the story of inaction. Inaction on masks, testing, tracing, and I hope now you know why. He sees it all as bad because he just wants to reopen regardless of the risks because he thinks it would be better for him. He does not care what happens to the rest of us, apparently. So tonight, I have no interest in what he's saying or not doing. I want the best ideas on what you and I should do for our families. How to handle work situations, school, barbecues, trips, pools, parks, because change is coming, ready or not. So let's do what the White House won't. Let's figure out the best way to protect ourselves, together as ever as one. Let's get after it. Look, it's too easy a case to make. It's a quick reality check, okay? Despite America not having the largest population in the world, right, we know that, we do have more COVID cases than anywhere else. This is bad, period, except in the mind of one man, the guy who thinks magic pills and disappearing viruses are real. When we have a lot of cases, I don't look at that as a bad thing. I look at that as, in a certain respect, as being a good thing, because it means our testing is much better. So if we were testing a million people instead of 14 million people, we would have far few cases, right? So I view it as a badge of honor. Really, it's a badge of honor. 
first of all, for a badge of honor, he would have wanted to test sooner. But let's take his number. The president says we've done 14 million tests. The COVID tracking project puts it at about 12 million. But let's give it to Trump. Assume uh, 14. Still, the math that matters here is how many tests you do per capita, per person. Why? Because if you don't do it per population, you're not going to know how much penetration you're getting into that society. It's not about the raw number of tests. So the real metric is that we've done about one test for every 28 that we know. We've done 28 tests for every 1,000 of us, 28 tests per 1,000 people. Okay, so if that's the metric, an aggregation of data from last week shows that more than 30 countries rank higher than we do in per capita testing. That's apples to apples. Now, few takeaways on why. We suck on this all-important metric because we started late after the virus started to spread in communities. Remember, Trump did not make testing a priority. He was too busy calling COVID a hoax, blaming it on Democrats and telling us all it would go away after a dozen cases. Also, almost every other country, and this probably matters most, at least to me, you tell me your thoughts. Almost every other country that has shown progress here has made testing and tracing their organizing principle that drives reopening. Because, you know, facts, you know, for some magical thinking isn't enough. But I will repeat the part that you have to remember here. Our president doesn't like testing or tracing or masks for basically one bad reason. They may make people less pumped to reopen recklessly. This is the only, there's one thing I want you to hear from him tonight, and it says everything you need to know. When you test, you have a case. When you test, you find something is wrong with people. When you test, you find a case. You find out something is wrong with people. Finding out who is sick and who is not is not wrong. It is information that helps us make decisions that are right. Again, please remember this. This is your brain on Trump. When you test, you have a case. When you test, you find something is wrong with people. That's all you need to know about how he thinks about this. More cases, wrong. Wearing mask, no. Taking pill that even state news admits may kill someone like him, that's the right thing to do. Dr. Samjay Gupta is here. There are no cure for what's ailing that kind of thinking. So I'll keep you out of that, and let's deal with some of the big components of where we are right now and how we have to understand it. First, the CDC just put out the rest of their guidelines. Uh, there's been a lot of drama about this. Uh, people in the CDC saying they were silenced. Then they put out what I thought was kind of a secondary flowchart system of what to do and not. It really seemed like the for dummies version of how to handle this. Now, about 60 pages of what was 68 pages, more detailed assessments of how to deal with restaurants and stuff reopening. It seemed to be slipped out there. There's no fanfare. But what do you make right. of the release? 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, this should be a, a much bigger deal. I mean, this is this is real life, as you were just uh, talking about in your opening, Chris. I mean, about how to navigate your life forward, the real decisions people are making about, should I get on a plane? Am I going to do summer vacation? Kids going to summer camp? Whatever it may be, am I going to go out to eat to a restaurant? All these types of things are the things that the CDC is expert at understanding the virus in real life situations. Uh, Nick Valencia, uh, who's been reporting on this, said that, first of all, the, the questions of religious gatherings, which was in the original 68-page document, not in the flow sheets that you just recommended, is also not in this now 60-page document. So for whatever reason, Chris, that is still taken out of there. Uh, and, but, you know, you do have some, some, some real data. I think that, you know, we're going to go through it and figure out what exactly this means for people who are trying to navigate some of these decisions. Mm. I'm surprised, uh, you know, that this isn't getting more attention. I mean, I think there's going to be some, a lot of it's going to look familiar because of the gating criteria, saying states should have, you know, 14-day downward trend, mm -hmm. they should have plenty of testing in place, things that we've heard. But you get the sense from this document that it's really uh, leaving it more up to the discretion of governors now as opposed to being a sort of national cohesive strategy. So uh, they, don't, they, they don't want this to get a lot of attention, clearly, Chris. Mm. Uh, a study came out about secondary infection rates. It's kind of complicated. I, I read through a summary of it. I didn't really get it. Uh, what matters about this study? I think the thing that matters the most is that this, first of all, leave aside whether or not people were actually reinfected for a second. People who tested positive again after they you know, had, had thought that they had recovered from their infection, one of the things they really wanted to know was were they still contagious? Could they still spread this? And what they did was they looked at these people who, again, tested positive again, developed symptoms again and tested positive, and they found that none of their close contacts contracted the virus. So even if they are still having these viral particles that, that's causing their tests to come back positive, it does not appear to make them contagious, which is, which is really good news. I mean, the idea that, first of all, someone could retest positive, I think, is still an open question. But if they could test positive and also spread it, Chris, that would be a huge problem in terms of trying to contain this. Right. I'll tell you, I go out on a limb. You've you and I've talked about this, but I, and I think you agree with me on this. But the idea that once you're exposed to the virus, you do develop antibodies for some time. I mean, you know that for yourself because you've donated the antibodies. I think there's going to be a period of time where you are protected. I mean, that's just the way it typically works. It would be hard to believe that for some reason this is behaving completely differently and people have no protection after they've been infected. We don't know how long that protection is. We don't know how strong, but we know with things like SARS, for example, which is another coronavirus, people did seem to have antibodies for uh, months, even years after their infection, which would be a very positive thing here. If people get infected and they have that protection for a period of time, that is how you start to get to, you know, getting some uh, more broad-based immunity. Yeah, I hope so. I know the clinicians uh, in my life uh, told me if people say that they want to get tested, but they're not showing any symptoms, tell them to get an antibody test uh, if they have access to it, which, again, is another issue. Um, but because you're better off knowing that. If you don't have any symptoms, you're better off knowing if you have the antibodies uh, than if you have COVID, because if you do have COVID, do you have enough virus in the system to be contagious or just to get picked up on a test? It gets um, a little confusing. Let me I love how they always say, he wants to open regardless. You want to close regardless. That's what you guys want to do. Chuck Ross, people love you, call you the love gov. Does that make you soft? Hard-hitting stuff from CNN. Kevin, you mean the governor who botched his COVID epidemic worse than any other governor in the country? And it ain't even close?
So as we do our first music break, we're going to listen to another news agency covering the nursing home situation that Governor Cuomo totally ass-raped. In an age of finger-pointing, blame-shifting, and spin, it can be bracing to simply hear a leader take responsibility. If you are upset by what we have done, be upset at me. My judgment is do whatever is necessary to contain this virus, and then we will manage the consequences afterwards. The old expression, the buck stops on my desk, the buck stops on my desk. Your local mayor did not close your restaurants, your bars, your gyms, or your schools. I did. I did. Voters notice when leaders step up. Polls show that the governors in the states of California, New York, Ohio, and Arkansas have approval ratings in the 70s and 80s. We could soon get a clearer picture of the devastating toll the pandemic has had on nursing homes. More than 15,000 nursing homes had to submit their first reports on coronavirus deaths and infections to the federal government by last night. CBS News has confirmed that of the more than 89,000 deaths from the coronavirus, more than 28,000 were connected to nursing homes, nearly a third of the total. As Jonathan Vigliotti reports, a lack of staff could have made the problem worse. It is something we're watching. Governor, a new model from Columbia University suggests that fewer than 2,300 people could have died in the New York metro area had the state implemented its stay-at-home order earlier on March 8th. Uh, Mayor Zablasi said today, I wish we had done, we had no more because we would have been able, able to do more. I'm wondering if you think the state could have and should have acted earlier in implementing, implementing its stay-at-home order. Yeah, I think it's, frankly, the situation is worse than uh, the story suggests. We, we may lose 100,000 people in this country to COVID. Uh, if this country knew more and knew it earlier, I think we could have saved uh, many, many more lives. I mean, when you think about it in retrospect, the virus is in China, November and December. Everybody knows that. We do a China travel ban February 1. The president did it. And some people said at that time he was criticized that it was too early. We do a European travel ban March 16th. Okay? By the time you get to March 16th, it starts in China, November, December. You then have January, February, March. We now know the virus left China, got on a plane, and went to Europe. And from Europe, the virus got on a plane 
and came to the United States and came to New York. January, February, March, March 16th, European travel ban, 3 million Europeans traveled to New York State. 3 million. If you, if you knew that the virus left China November, December, and went to Europe, you would have done a European travel ban December 31. China travel ban December 31. How many lives could you have saved? So I think it's actually, when you start to do Monday morning quarterbacking, I think it goes back before that. New York Times doesn't call for a close down until March 24th. Think about it. March 24th. Forget March 24th. Should have been December 31st. But who knew the virus left China? Who knew the virus went to Europe? Who knew the virus was already here? January, February, March. Now, who should have known? It's above my pay grade as governor of one state. But what federal agency, what international health organization, I don't know. It's not what I do. It's not my responsibility. But somebody has to answer that question. Yeah, and that one he says, it's above my pay grade to mitigate it. AG conservative, the amount of deflection and passing the buck for Cuomo and B BDB is ridiculous. His refusal to clean the subway and choice to turn nursing homes into death trap has nothing to do with the lack of special knowledge. <clears throat> Another one. Who knew hurting COVID patients in their nursing homes results in thousands of deaths? The party of Obama death panels will involuntarily euthanize your grandparents is now embracing the position that, well, a lot of folks are dying from seniors in nursing homes, so it really doesn't count. Then you got Chris Hayes. Lies to further narrative. He says that if GOP embracing Voma, people are going to die from this virus no matter what you do. Whereas that was literally said by Cuomo. Gaslighting. A lot of people said that. Neon Taser. Area man extremely concerned about nursing home crisis. And he's not. <clears throat> but he was actually brought on MSDNC. Nine fucking minute interview. Not one question by Stephanie Rule. And Neon Taser did a search by MSNBC, Chris A. specifically, Stephanie Rule. Nobody's even spoke about it. While I have you, you have been criticized for your comments about nursing homes. Some people say you did not act quickly enough. Too little, too late. What is your response to that criticism? I'm getting criticized now for doing too much. I have the strongest national... Uh, provisions in place where staff of nursing homes must be tested twice per week. Uh, and the nursing homes are upset that this is too burdensome for them to do it. I understand that it's burdensome. I understand it's the most aggressive in the nation. Uh, but I also understand that this is the most vulnerable population in the most vulnerable place. We will have lost many Americans in this, Stephanie, but the only solace we're going to be able to take is we can say we did everything we could and we didn't lose anyone for want of medical care, precautions, etc. Uh, so, yes, they're unhappy that I'm saying two tests a week for staff, 
but I want to make sure every one of us can say we did everything that we could. Are we surprised? I mean, anybody? Surprised. Text. Cuomo got away, actually got away with this answer. Then again, it was MSDNC rule. Fair point. I'll have you. But criticize your comment about nursing homes. This is his reply. I'm not going to read the rest of her question. I'm getting criticized now for doing too much. I have the strongest national provisions in place where staff in nursing homes must be tested twice per week. And the nursing homes are upset that this is too burdensome for them to do. I understand that it's burdensome. I understand it's the most aggressive in the nation. But I also understand that this is the most vulnerable population, the most vulnerable place. We will have lost many Americans in this, Stephanie, but the only solace we're going to be able to take from it, can we say we did everything we could? We didn't lose anyone for want of medical care, precautions, etc. So yes, they're unhappy that I'm saying two tests a week of staff, but I want to make sure every one of us say we did everything we could. Somebody said he's blaming the nursing homes? He said it was top priority day one. Julio Rosa... Deforcing nursing homes to take COVID-19 patients in March and only stopping it in May, Governor Cuomo states, we now have a top priority, which we had from day one, which is our nursing homes. Well, that clearly can't be obvious. There's an article here from April 26th. Cuomo doubles down on ordering nursing homes to admit coronavirus patients. New York Post covered it. So, surprisingly... They did ask questions of other Democrats, but it was to deflect. So we brought on Schumer to the day show. Washington Examiner. I think the governor and mayor, frankly, have handled things very well. He heaps praise on New York Governor Cuomo and Bill de Blasio for the way they handle the coronavirus. Senator Schumer, I want to ask you about the state of New York, your state, our state, where we live, obviously has been the hardest hit in all of the country, particular nursing homes where 5,500 people have died in long-term care facilities. On March 25th, Governor Cuomo and the New York Health Department issued an order that said you have to take from hospitals back into these nursing homes patients even if they have COVID. Was that a mistake? Governor Cuomo reversed that decision on Sunday and said, no, you can stay in the hospital. We won't send you back into the nursing home. Was that order a mistake? Look, I think the governor and the mayor, frankly, have handled things very well. We've been the epicenter of the crisis with so much going on. And um, the, the, the issues of hospitals and nursing homes is, was very hard to manage. I think they managed it well. Nursing homes are not a unique problem in New York and most other states. They have been an epicenter here. So I think our governor has handled it well. I don't have any dispute with what he has done. Even the fact that he reversed the order because it obviously has gone so uh, poorly uh, with 5,500 people dead. But at the same, but the hospitals have have much more room now than they had before. You know, times changed. At March 25th, wow, we didn't know what would happen um, in terms of hospital beds, in terms of ventilators and things like that. Now we have more room. So it's it's a different situation. Responses. New York admits purposely undercounting nursing home deaths after changing reporting rules. Andrew Cuomo defends making nursing homes accept coronavirus patients. Trial from New York City seeded outbreaks all over the United States before city officials instituted social distancing guidelines. The mayor of New York has targeted the Jewish community and blamed them for being disease vectors. New York City Mayor de Blasio urged people to go out and catch a movie just three weeks before a city became the U.S. epicenter for the coronavirus. But they did a great thing. 
New York One reporter. Ugly politics. Talking about Pelosi and Schumer and the way they've been acting. One of their statements. Schumer and Pelosi to Trump. We are writing to request that you order flags to be flown on half-staff on all public buildings in the country. And sad day of reckoning, we'll reach 1,000. It would serve as a national expression of grief so needed by everyone in our country. They were just playing politics with flag. So, of course, what do you do when it's a conservative? You bash him. You bash for anything. If it's a mayor in pump fucking Wyoming, everybody eats it. But no, they brought him on TV, Schumer, to get a full-fledged bash Trump. And, of course, it was the view. President Trump announced Monday that he's been taking the drug hydroxychloroquine for the last couple of weeks as a preventative measure. Now, in the past, he's taken, as you know, great pains to keep his personal information, like his full medical records and his taxes, really under wraps. Why do you think he's being so transparent now about taking this drug? Well, Sonny, it's hard to figure out. Sometimes, you know, you never know when he's telling the truth or when not, just to get attention, a bright, shiny object. So I don't know why he did it, but it's reckless. And I would tell all of the viewers out there in The View, don't take it. It doesn't work. Talk to your doctor if you have symptoms. Okay. So, yeah, we know when he's lying, sir, because his lips are moving. Um, Now, all 50 um, states... Uh, are in some form of reopening, and now we're learning that 36,000 lives, 36,000 lives could have been saved if we had closed them one week earlier. How concerned yes. are you that we're making a fatal mistake right now? So, uh, Senator, President Trump has been nonstop tweeting about Obamagate, which stems from allegations Obama and senior officials used government power to spy on Trump's campaign. Can you say with 100% certainty that this did not happen and it's all a big Trump conspiracy theory to distract us? Well, I didn't uh, say it. Seventeen intelligence agencies. These are nonpartisan. These are people who've risked their lives for us, CIA, NSA. They said it. This came from the Russians who wanted to divert attention from what they did. And for the Senate and President Trump to spend time on this when we have a COVID crisis is just absolutely absurd. We should be focusing on helping people through this crisis, not pursuing already discredited um, conspiracy theories. It shows his desperation, Senator. But before you go, let's look ahead for a second, because Dr. Fauci said that he couldn't guarantee if it would be safe to vote in person by Election Day. Trump has called mail-in ballots corrupt, even though he actually voted by absentee ballot himself in the last election. Now, shouldn't people have this option uh, if they don't feel safe going to the polls? And what are you going to do to make sure this happens? Lockdown Twitter so you can't speak. Don't report everything, attack Trump. It's almost like it's a concerted effort. I mean, I could play you another long lockdown. Well, I will. I'll blow the media mash off today. Uh, it was supposed to be our first break. Amanpour mocks America first due to COVID cases. Cuomo blames Trump for terrorist attack. Lemon says, I won't go to the White House. And Trump was cracking a performer, but a uh, reporter, but I'm not going to play that. I will play the lockdown because as all this is going on and the actual truth is coming out that it's New York, stupid. 
Our media is still full-fledged, and we will never, ever open again. As you know, President Trump also doesn't really deal in details. And so one of the things that he's good at is sort of the simple message, the slogan. And so isn't he being more identified with, let's get the country back, let's reopen, everybody wants to go back to work, let's reopen, than Democrats. And in that way, since this is not a partisan issue, everybody wants their old life back. Republicans, Democrats, everybody wants their old normal. So is he winning in that way of making it seem simple and that he's on the side of getting life back to normal? Well, also, I would say, John, and to, con to contrast your facts that you keep throwing around and your stats, your facts, I mean, as former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich once famously told me on our program, I'll let you deal with the statisticians all day long. I'll take how people feel. Mm. And, and Bakari, on that front, I mean, I understand what John's saying. Yes, are people completely comfortable going out to a restaurant? No. Do people long for their old life? Yes, they do. And so do you worry at all that President Trump is appealing to more than his base, to some of the independents or whomever, Democrats, who think that his message is just more of a sort of cheerleading one than the, you know, doctors who keep wagging their fingers at us. So other news, Trump's re-election campaign is now recruiting doctors, uh, friendly doctors to serve as supporters to, to, to help Trump in that message. Uh, what are you learning? Uh, is he getting pickup for this? Are doctors willing to step forward to support his message here? They will be, Jim. This is start part of the same effort. It's a big country. Lots of doctors out there. You can find doctors who will support uh, things that the president's saying about hydroxychloroquine or many other things, just as you can find scientists to say that global warming doesn't exist, or you could find economists to say that uh, trade protectionism is good for the economy, or you could find uh, election analysts to say that voting fraud is massive and therefore we need to restrict access to the ballot. Remember, the president uh, today is tweeting about Michigan mailing out absentee ballot applications. Uh, these are, again, these are all efforts to present a coherent story for his uh, uh, supporters, uh, but this is also why that uh, uh, the Republican Party and Trump himself have been hemorrhaging support among college-educated voters because most of these assertions that I just went through are not true. But you know who retweeted the report calling them great people. Now, does it surprise anyone? Does it surprise you, Joy? <laughs> does it, nothing that he ever does, that you know who does, Nothing just surprises me. I'm not certainly not surprised by this because let's not forget uh, when he called white supremacists and neo-Nazis in Charlottesville great people, quote unquote. Um, you know, it's his M.O. to destroy the press because the press will tell you the truth and the truth hurts him uh, in his re-election plan. And, you know, he's worried. He's very worried. Uh, Joe Biden is pulling ahead. Not that this is anything new. He's always been a denigrator of the truth, calling the press the enemy of the people, which is right out of uh, Putin's book and Stalin and Hitler and all the, all the dictators that he admires so much. I'm not sure he admired Hitler, but he certainly admires Putin. And that's what they do, is to denigrate the press. That's the first thing dictators do. Then is there, maybe I sound romantic, but is there an opportunity to create, at a time like this, a better, smarter, more inclusive capitalism? I remember last year, you went to Bentonville, you went to Walmart's annual meeting, and you were arguing that they should put a member of their labor force on their board. 
and you didn't get very much traction. But fast forward a year, their labor force are their most essential workers. They're the reason those companies are doing so well. And we've seen companies like Walmart and Amazon extend hazard pay, uh, give more benefits, provide more security. Is this the time legislatively where we should be doing more for those workers that you've been fighting for for all these years? You know, Stephanie, if there is any silver lining in this horrible moment in American history, it is, I think, the belief that we take a deep breath and we ask ourselves, how did we get to where we are and where do we want to go when this pandemic is? I mean, we have something like This is America today that's showing this lockdown isn't a great thing. New York Post, one man's plea, the Big Apple's dying and streets are empty. Tens of thousands have been plunged into poverty. Our leaders have no plans, no answers. New Yorkers have already learned to socially distance. Businesses can adjust. The elderly and infirm can continue to be isolated. It needs to end now. 600 doctors send letter to Trump urging an end to lockdown, calling it a mass casualty event. Because people are getting trapped with people. But our media... Here's uh, Anna Navarro. Today was the first day of reopening phase one, and it rained and thundered so hard. It almost felt like nature was trying to send us a message to never leave. Yashar Ali, very le- le- lefty on this. What if that's what experts have wanted all along, and bad faith actors have lied and said they want to lock people away? Because flatten a curve is forever. It's never ending. But it's because lefties love it. Here's just some fascism. Just a little. I'm not even going overboard because we've done so many podcasts on the subject. Julia Marsh. Anyone tries to get in the water, they'll be taken right out of the water. Mayor warns about city beaches this summer. Then... Earlier today, the NYPD shut down a yeshiva, conducting classes with as many as 70 children. Can't stress how dangerous this is for our young people. We're issuing a cease and desist order, and we'll make sure we keep our community and our kids safe. Ted Cruz, the next time a new NYC mayor sends out a gleeful tweet about sending cops after Jews, the DOJ should investigate to make sure he's not violating constitutionally guaranteed religious liberties. Actually, should have done it after the last one. Because you don't hear him. You don't hear him doing it to the madrasas again. You can go to a mosque. You just can't go to church. Governor Tom Wolf responds to Ben Roethlisberger barbershop visit. I don't care who you are. Why are you getting a haircut? Governor Newsom, ready to lay off first responders, kicks off coronavirus assistance for illegal aliens. Newsom seemed to be making an ultimatum to the federal government. He says if California doesn't receive more federal assistance, first responders, including health care workers and police, could be laid off. I hope they'll consider this next time they want to salute and celebrate our first responders, consider the fact they will be the first ones laid off by cities and counties. We're not sure why first responders will be the first laid off, but we do know Newsom's announcement comes on the same day as state is kicking off a program to provide coronavirus relief to legal aliens. The state is chipping in $75 million to give families up to $1,000 with philanthropic groups expected to contribute another $125 million. Or, excuse me, 
fifty million to make it one hundred twenty-five. California Department of Social Service estimates will help close to one hundred fifty thousand undocumented adults. Harmon K. Dillon. We went to the California Supreme Court to stop this because it violates state and federal law and constitution, but the court allowed it to proceed. Remember, our government's priorities is a shutdown, and your misery continues in California. The entire world, of course, said, hey, you're going to lay off these people, but you're going to give free shit. Democratic Representative Val Demings. The GOP is trying to make this all about China because they know that otherwise it's about a president is failure to protect us. RBE pundit, narrator, the pandemic is literally all about China because that's where it started, you dolt. Brian Seltzer, a Democrat. In an alternate universe, if Trump had been impeached and removed by the GOP Senate, how different would the U.S. respond to a pandemic? You knew he was going to... That's newsman right there. Comfortably smug. Just lumping him all together. Camelia Harris trying to pass a resolution calling it racist to use the word Wuhan. Resolution. Condemning all forms of anti-Asian sentiment related to COVID. Whereas 23 million Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, blah, blah, blah. It is such as Chinese virus, Kung flu virus that nobody ever proved anybody ever said... And Wuhan virus. First, Camelia Harris tried to beat Joe Biden by calling him a racist. Now she's trying to be a VP by calling everybody else racist. <laughs> but then you got AOC. Really great system here. Can't imagine why anyone questioned how beneficial or sustainable it is for working class. And she's pushing, we need socialism. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the Daily Beast. They're Democrats calling conservative pundits grandma killers. Americans have thrived on the idea that although life is often hard and challenging, you and your family have the freedom to decide how you want to live it. Democrats may live in shutdown nirvana, but the emerging consensus is this. If you want to stay at home, you can stay at home. But for the rest of us, we'll make our own decisions. Thank you. Now we know more about this virus. Extremely low lethality or otherwise healthy younger Americans, they do pretty well. Seniors, they need special care. And since the so-called experts say it will be around forever, it's time to move on with our lives. The testing issue is just another Democrat red herring. More impossible hoops to jump through. Testing and tracking for the rest of your life since the virus will be with us forever, just like the flu, they say. The virus has taken many lives. And it's awful. It's a tragedy. It's wrecked a once great economy. But it has also shown for all the world to see who these new radical Democrats really are and what they want. They're petty dictators who want to fundamentally change the America we love. You know, the old normal. The masks are off. And then we have the elite uh, elitists. Every one of these people have done something on Twitter, TikTok, or something to stop people from not being locked down. Kathy Griffith, Robert De Niro, Bent Midler, Rob Reiner, Whoopi Goldberg, Jimmy Kimmel, 
Michael Moore, Kathy Griffin again, Joy Behar, Ron Perlman, Patton Oswalt, Alyssa Milano. They just want lockdown forever. That's what they want. It's all about lockdown. But they've gotten so fucked up, Nate Silver has taken them to task, and that's... I was going to play a DeSantis, not going to play it. He got a crack on some people, and that was good for him, because he's the one that's the worst governor ever, but somehow he doesn't have as many cases as anybody else, but, you know, whatever. Here's his three points. I think there's not nearly enough recognition in the media that the data we have on coronavirus is highly imperfect and that sometimes misleading conclusions. The next major category is not accounting enough for uncertainty. I actually think the experts have done a very good job of accounting for major traits of COVID, especially if you literally read the fine print on what they're saying rather than the media filter. Finally, I think the media spends too much time worrying about knockoff effect of their coverage, i.e. worrying about scaring people or about making them complacent, and should instead try to report the facts as straightforward as possible, including the many uncertainties. His conclusion, the point is, this is a long game. COVID-19 will be with us for a while. Maybe we're very smart, lucky it would be. We will have become less of a problem by the fall or by next spring, but those are optimistic scenarios. It could take years, so maintaining reader trust will be essential. He went on a 20-tweet screed that I won't read, and it was directed at Brian fucking Seltzer. Because they lie. They're taking any type of data they could find. I mean, we're still in two weeks. Georgia, Florida, two weeks. It's going to explode in two weeks. And it hasn't happened. They, once again, want you just to shut the fuck up. Not tell you how bad Democrats are. And push the narrative that you never leave your house. So, a short media section and then some Biden. And we'll go into news and social media nuggets. I found this online. And I think it sums up CNN perfectly. And I responded because it then became a story because Janice Dean, who lost her family in a nursing home in New York, went crazy on him. But this is Oliver Darcy. He's one of uh, Seltzer's buddies. Fox can't get its story straight. While one host zinged Trump for taking hydrochloroquine, another host encourages it use. While one medical contributor calls it highly irresponsible, another says it's reasonable. What are viewers to believe? My reply. Wow. Opposing views on the news. I don't watch Fox, but I can't watch CNN and MSDNC due to what you're whinging about. No opposing think. Just prog obey fascism. And I thought it was an incredible look into our media, specifically cable, because MSDNC and CNN, they never have opposing views. They never broadcast anything but the left, and that's why the trust in media keeps going down. You don't make your own opinion. You're told what you're supposed to think. I bet you about it on the show all the time. CBS caught using fucking four-month-old pictures of some diseased kids again. It's like a chicken box. Yeah, they they never apologized. They got called out on it. 
But that's the narrative. We've got to keep, oh, now it's going to kids because it hasn't been a kid disease. And they throw fake shit because that's just what they do. And then right on cue comes Chris Saliza, who got called a racist, attacked for an article that didn't even say good things about Trump. His tweet was the following. Yes, he's an unlikable jerk. But he's unlikably jerk, an unlikable jerk that gets things done. In the article, you'll hear there's no positive. But it's still a fact that the real, only real path for Trump is to second term, and I continue to believe the path is quite narrow. It's through a message that doesn't try to make people like Trump, but rather force them to acknowledge that he is getting things done. Trump is, quite simply, not likable. He says and does things on an almost daily basis that can even make many of his supporters think he's gone over the line of acceptable conduct for a president or really for anyone. Nothing will change that, or certainly nothing that he can do between now and November. The only way he wins is to make the case that may not be your idea of what a president should look and act like, but that he is someone who knows how to make change in Washington. It's a true statement. But this is what we've got in these echo chambers. These are just some of the responses. I, I'm just I cherry pick some stuff. I'm getting ninety thousand plus. He gets stuff done by getting ninety thousand plus Americans killed. No Democrat is planning on running against Trump as an unlikable jerk. This is just as made up as the idea that he gets stuff done. We will run against the corruption and incompetence leading to preventable mass death and the worst economy in our lifetime. Really. Yo, Chris, what's it like being the opposite of a journalist? Why are you so bad at this? Why is being bad at something so highly compensated? Chris Saliza, Hitler, yes, he's an unlikable jerk, but he's an unlikable jerk that gets stuff done. And there you go. There you go. Then you have the race angle. So a black journalist, that Chris Saliza piece is a perfect example how Trumpism is purely about whiteness, racism, and always has been. But folks don't want to acknowledge it. Trump has never gotten anything done and has always used a moral threat to the safety and security of the U.S. and its residents. The only reason people are so invested in Trump or so desperate to redeem him is because they elected him to reinforce white supremacy after having a black president that made him mad. This had nothing to do with Trump as a president. He's clearly the worst and everything to do with racism. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. That, that just sums up CNN, MSDNC, no opposing views. And if you type it, you get killed, so they just don't do it. I mean, this week, and I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to play a soundbite. The media thought on Mediate, Dan Abrams' site, it was a good idea to let Matt Lauer attack Rona Farrow for ruining his career. Even NBC had a dog him for that. This morning, former Today Show anchor Matt Lauer is speaking out about what he calls flawed reporting by Ronan Farrow. Lauer presenting his own fact check on Farrow's book, Catch and Kill, as the best-selling author and former NBC News reporter comes under new scrutiny in a New York Times report this week. Among Lauer's accusations, Farrow abandoned common sense and true fact-checking in favor of salacious and deeply flawed material. He also says Farrow failed to confirm stories and used misleading language to manipulate readers. 
In Catch and Kill, Brooke Nevels, the woman whose allegations led to Lauer's firing, publicly accused him of raping her at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. Lauer says Farrow took his accusers at their word and says he tracked down four people the author never interviewed. Their accounts, according to Lauer, cast doubt on some of the book's claims. NBC News has offered no comment on the Lauer piece. For Lauer's part, he says the examples of shoddy journalism I've explored here are the tip of the iceberg. Lauer, who was fired from NBC in 2017 for inappropriate sexual behavior in the workplace, now writing a lengthy op-ed published on the website Mediaite claiming Farrow published allegations against him without proper fact-checking and verification. Lauer accuses Farrow of acting as Brooks' advocate, not as a journalist investigating her claims. He is breaking a cardinal rule of journalism. He has come to a self-serving conclusion first and then he sees everything through the prism of that assumption. I mean, really think about it. Do you think ever Fox will let Murdoch write an article? I know they're not the same power, but the same person. He sexually harassed a whole bunch of women. Matt Lauer sexually harassed a whole bunch of women. Murdoch didn't have a power button to lock his door. Lauer did. Yeah. So, a quick bite in, and we're off. Here's a regular old sound bite. It, it's getting almost, almost repetitive of the media touching Biden and making him what he's not. And then him saying something strikingly absurd that the media didn't even catch. You've been in the news for, for years. Yeah. You're a news junkie. Very much what it's still. while the coronavirus is like the all-encompassing global story, it affects everyone. What what are the stories that you think that should be talked about right now that we're just not talking about enough? Stephen, I can't believe that we're not talking about a political campaign, campaign 2020. You know, we're sitting here in May, heading into June. The conventions are, are supposed to be July, August. I still don't know what's going to be up with mm-hmm. those with them yet. But here we are in the middle of a very important political campaign. And, you know, when Joe Biden gets major endorsements, it's not even the lead story anymore because everything is all things Corona. I really hope that people pay attention to the political campaign. This is very important. Regardless of your political affiliation, we all need out there and vote vote and make our voices heard. So I worry that the political campaign is just sort of getting lost in the shuffle. We're in the middle of this Tara Reid accusing Biden of sexual assault. Are we supposed to believe her just because she's a woman? To me, if you say, I believe any woman who makes any accusation, uh, if you say that, I think it minimizes our credibility as women. And and then nobody's going to believe anybody at some point. So these things have to be thoroughly investigated, thoroughly vetted. I would like to have all 24 of the women who are accusing Trump of sexual assault be vetted, and let's hear from them also. Let us hear from We heard from Tara. Let's hear from them. We heard from Matt now. Let's hear from the woman again. I mean, everybody has to have a voice in this. Um, I, I mean, I, I feel as though it can be used as a political cudgel against a political rival. And that, I think, is dangerous. Kind of like with Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> 
I'm just saying. I mean, well, it's interesting it was, to hear a lot of women it, say, I believe all women, and then it, we're singing an entirely different tune after Brett Kavanaugh. But I actually don't think that's the point. I think the point is is that people are going after Ronan Farrow and his reporting. As Sonny pointed out, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. They don't just hand those things out to anybody. And the idea that he's somehow hurting the industry or hurting journalism, the New York Times has a lot of things to answer for in a lot of ways. But I just think it's interesting that we believe all women now, and we didn't believe uh, it's entirely different tune that was being sung earlier this year in the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. All I'm, all I'm saying, so I'm, all I'm, I'm saying I'm, is, you don't, you don't, uh, or ipso facto, believe somebody just because they I don't. Make an I'm not a believable woman be person. I never have been. I'm very and investigated. I, I'm very consistent and, and on I this. Believe I don't that believe that the Kavanaugh women. thing was investigated. Um, can I just say this um, in terms of, you know, we have to believe all women? I think the point is that women should be heard when it comes to being victimized. Yes. I spent a lot of my career yes. being uh, a sex crimes prosecutor. And the bottom line is women have to be heard. They have that right. And the problem with sexual assault is in this country is that women feel that they are not going to be heard, that they are not going to be believed. And that is why rape continues to be the most underreported crime in this country. And when it comes to Brett, Ka Brett Kavanaugh, Dr. Ford testified she testified and was able to tell her side of the story. And her claims were not thoroughly investigated by the FBI because Congress shut her investigation down and didn't give her investigation right. the breadth and the depth that it deserved. That is the bottom line there. So no one, I don't think, on this show is saying oh. that women should not be heard. And for all of you, no matter your differences of opinion, protect the very foundations of democracy. Trust in self-governance. Because right now it's under attack. The very people tasked with enforcing the rule of law are abusing their powers, protecting their friends, and weakening the very principles that make our country work. Yes, our legal system is adversarial by design, but it depends on rules, norms, and ethics. Our democracy is messy, but a free press and checks and balances hold that democratic project together. And as we know... Power corrupts, and democracy doesn't just happen. We have to earn it, defend it, forge consensus. That's a tradition you're part of, not just of a school or profession, but of this country. The media holds it together. Yeah, he's holding his campaign together by just ignoring it. Jill Filipovic. Attempts to rewrite Me Too history claiming the right inserted the word all in their believe messaging. The entire world tweeted back, we still believe all survivors. Woman's March. PBS interviews Sunny for Biden staffers. Pundits proclaims read stories increasingly unlikely. Likely, never did that for Kavanaugh. I think Stephen Miller got the best thing. Blasey Ford got a quote posterized. Reed gets milkshake dunked. That's their coverage. New York Times opinion. The preferred hashtag of Me Too Woman is Believe Women. It's different without the all, writes Sudden Faldi, and they carry the same trash. Another writer at The Nation. I would vote for Joe Biden if he boiled babies and ate them. He wasn't my candidate, but taking back the White House is that important. Four more years of Trump. We can't live through it. That's our media.
That's our fucking media, man. They're fucking broke. So broke. And the simple fact that Joe Biden's talking about power, when he was part of an administration that wielded power, that wiretapped reporters, abused the IRS, ignored Congress, and gave money to foreign countries that was used for terroristic actions. There you go. So, we're going to play some kind of song. We're going to go to news and social media nuggets. See you on the other side. to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. Were you trying to get crazy with this, see? 
Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Hey, 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 bow, 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 Lil pump and cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. I gotta admit, I've read a lot of weird shit in our gay shit, but I ain't never read this. Twitch names transgender streamer who identifies as a deer to the Safety Advisory Council. I'm not making that up. A deer. If normal radical liberals and big tech were bad enough, Twitch has named a transgender streamer who self-identifies as a deer to be on the platform Safety Advisory Council. Steph Ferociously Steph Lore who is listed as a professional community leader with an anti-defamation league, now serves as a member on Twitch Safety Council. The council, according to protocol, May 15th newsletter, is made up of eight members, a mix of academic professionals with online safety expertise, plus a few Twitch creators. Laura was described on Twitch's Safety Advisory Council as a person whose fight for inclusivity includes creating a competitive team composed entirely of marginalized gamers and vehemently opposing non-inclusive mechanics such as voice chat. Voice chat, tech combinator, and former Blizzard game developer Mark Kern responded to Twitch announcements by tweeting, Twitch's new safety council features a person who believes voice chat in games is sexist. Safety councils have historically been filled with toxic, hate-baiting, cancel culture-oriented power trippers. Lore could be seen in a variety of disturbing clips. In one, he wore antlers while broadcasting and explained, In my spare time, I go out to my yard and I and I prance around and eat grass. While explaining this, Lore mimed eating grass and described how it helps me feel like in tune with my dear self. In another clip, Laura can be seen making strange noises while another individual scratches his head. Laura also warned in a clip that I have power and that there are some people that should be afraid of me. And they are because I represent moderation and diversity and I'm going to come for hurtful, harmful people. If you're a really shitty person, I'm going to stand up against you, period. And Twitch has endorsed me to do that. The ADL describes Laura as a transgender and an advocate for authenticity, challenging herself and others to find an expressive truth through vulnerability. You know, I said I don't care if you're a goat as a joke. I didn't think somebody would actually take me up on it. 
And then Netflix is at it again. You know, I just restreamed fucking Travelers. All three seasons. Such a great show. It probably got canceled because of the gay shit. Because that's all Netflix is about. Is gay shit. Every show got gay shit. Which, by the way, we tried that Stars High Town. Right off the bat, it was just lesbian shit. And we were like, fuck this. That's not interesting to me. I mean, seriously, it wasn't just, there was no plot. It was just lesbians going to bars. That was the first 15 minutes we shut it off. Not homophobia. Boredophobia. So Netflix is now taking a classic 80s cartoon, She-Ra, and bringing in an open lesbian. Because that's what a cartoon needs. Yeah. LGBT movements taking over children's entertainment. This is tragic for children on many levels because the development of platonic same-sex friendship is a critical aspect of healthy early childhood development. It is a staple of childhood psychology that prior to the onset of adolescence, boys and girls become socialized primary within same-sex context. And same-sex friendships dominate the childhood peer socialization experience from preschool to grade school. Therefore, children's stories which overtly sexualize or romanticize same-sex friendships deliberately sow confusion. But the sexual revolutionaries do not care. They're determined to project their own narcissistic need for queer visibility. Netflix cartoon reboot of the 80s classic She-Ra, Princess of Power, now She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, is the latest example of the phenomena. Past seasons of the series including lesbian innuendos, non-binary character, really just a shapeshifter, and two gay dads. Now we're going straight in with Lesbo and some tripping. Yeah, that's great. NPR covered it, and all female writing staff working on the reboot of She-Ra, Princess of Power, updated the characters to include women of color, women of all sizes and shapes, and women who love other women, because that's so important. I mean, we, we can't have our kids not watching some tribbing. Somebody summed it up better than I can. This looks like something that's going to be in a $1 DVD bin that everyone moves aside in favor of four-pack a forgotten Rob Schneider comedies. <laughs> so true. So then the United Nations came out with the wordsmithing. We're all word police, remember. It used to be just this word, that word. Now it's just sheer thought. I mean, if you think the wrong words. So they tweeted, What you say matters. Help create a more equal word by using gender-neutral language. If you're unsure about someone's gender or referring to a group, unwomen.org, EN, Generation Equality, UN Women. If you don't know someone's gender or when talking about a group, use gender-neutral language. Mankind, humankind. Chairman, chair. Congressman, legislator. Businessman, blah, 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 blah. Mankind, humankind. Chairman, chair. They did it like two or three times. They just... How to get it out there. And people said, Hugh man, someone should be fired for this outright misogynistic tweet. Because you put man in it anyway. You put man. You can't have man. Man is bad. But we've just gone past the feminist tropes. We're just bending fucking pretzels to make the gay shit work. And then because I'm sick of the advocate, instead of reading their articles, 
Just going to do headlines and laugh. Starts like this. Queer people see more harassment in dating apps than straights. Not once in this article is there any quantitative data about it. None. But it linked me to this article. Lori Lightfoot is cementing her place in queer history. She's not getting cemented because she's queer, because she's a fucking freak who gets her hair cut and tells her people to stay in and threatens people and is a fucking fascist. No, I didn't even know she was gay, dipshits. I just knew she was a fascist. Cheyenne Mishlian. Are you ready for this? Is our favorite queer femme automotive rider. What the fuck? My bro out in Oregon is like a mechanic. He's rebuilding a really sexy fucking Bronco. I doubt he has a favorite automotive rider. I never even heard somebody title that. Then to their bullshit, two Kansas City cops charged with assaulting transgender woman who was resisting arrest. And they probably didn't know she was transgender. No charges are filed. And then they put out a global report card on LGBTQ rights from Ida Hobbit. From Brunei to Brazil, Budapest to Boise, LGBTQ plus people are fighting for their lives and dignity. Nowhere in here do they say anything about America fucking anything up. It's like some homeless people that got arrested and they just happen to be gay. And people getting in trouble with the law in other countries. And they're in trouble for fucking up. But they're gay. So they're not supposed to ever get in trouble. Mm, got it. So going to go to everything as racist. This is the Lincoln Project. Once again, the New York Times. The New York Times running ads against Trump's, or somebody on Trump's, Trump's re-election campaign. When does a newspaper supposed to run anti-ads against the campaign? Anybody? Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Brad Parscale. From dead broke to the man Trump can't win without. Brad was getting rich. How rich? Really rich. But don't tell Donald. He'd wonder how Brad can afford so much. A $2.4 million waterfront house in Fort Lauderdale. Two Florida condos worth almost a million each. He even has his very own yacht. A gorgeous Ferrari. A sleek Range Rover. Brad brags about using private jets. Oh my, Brad's a star. And why not? Brad's worth every dollar. Just ask him. So we covered how the far, far fucking race hustlers were saying 
Obamagate or Flingate was the new birtherism. Now we have the gay black man that's on MSNBC, MSNBC all the time. Jonathan Capehart, who writes for the Washington Post, tweeting, Obamagate equals birtherism. So now it's mainline. This has been what's been happening in our media since Trump started. The far left says something, the media parrots it, or the media pushes the far left laughter on CNN or MSNBC. So I I just had to cover that. Then we have future racism. Well, what's that, Tony? I don't know what future racism is. Well, Mel Gibson's coming out with a movie about a fucking hurricane, and they're already calling this direct-to-DVD movie racist. It's outright disrespectful to people who went through traumatic experience that was Hurricane Maria. For Mel Gibson and any Hollywood company to come to Puerto Rico and make a movie where the Islanders are the bad guys, and he and the white people are the good guys. Yeah. You're telling me gringos want to make Hollywood film about the most traumatizing event in Puerto Rican history? The first major Hollywood movie about a Hurricane Maria, and it's got Mel Gibson, an affluent white American? It's it's force of nature. It comes out in platforms on June 30th. Nobody's going to watch it. But it, it's racist already. They're already racist. The Daily Beast, the culture war that I believe is real and is raging in this country, I believe was ushered in with this administration, Meghan McCain said of Obama, and then exasperated in the Trump administration. That turned into a whole article that she's a racist. And then Soledad O'Brien comes in and says, Meghan McCain is kind of racist, in my humble opinion, because she said something about Obama. Then once again, instead of reading articles, here's our daily route. Blackballed remind us why shut up and dribble is not an option for today's athletes. Val Deming, potential vice president pick for Joe Biden, speaks with a root on Instagram Live. Actual headline, Val Deming's black, thus Biden's pandering for votes. We're good with it because she's black. That <laughs> pretty much sums it up. Then we have the ultimate story that I just fucking love. And this is how bad it's gotten in Trump. But it was this way in Obama. Because of what Obama did. When you racialize everything. Well, it's all racism. The president says it. The police in Florida had to release a goddamn video. After they broke up a party. And it was called racial profiling. The Volusia County Sheriff's Office in East Central Florida released video of a block party attended by thousands last Saturday after attendees said they were being unfairly targeted because they were black. The gathering drew an estimated 3,000 people. Volusia police were monitoring the event, which was a memorial for a man murdered in 2008. 
Because the majority of the crowd was black and the deputies police were white, we have to face the issue. Sheriff Mike Chitwood said on Twitter in response to attendees' complaint the rest were racially motivated. I don't accept the accusation they, that they were racist or that our actions Saturday were racially motivated. It's not true, and it's not a fair conclusion. So here's a video to shut you dumbasses up. We have to do this now because of Obama for shootings, for everything. They have to take evidence and put it out in the public, which then prejudices a jury a jury, and fucks up cases for what you're trying to attempt to do, which is get all white people arrested or all white cops thrown in prison. But you're prejudicing a jersey, jury. You're putting out shit they're not supposed to see. But they're going to see it. Because without doing this, you guys go in Ferguson shit and burn it down. And I'm not saying black people. It's majority white, liberal, fucking cause heads going town to town like the fucking people from Independence Day sucking resources. We got a climate change. I can't help it because got a great article. All the fucking silver lining about people dying because, you know... Climate change and shit. Okay. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action and we need it to happen. How dare you? We will make sure they that we put them against the wall. You 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 know you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. Just stopping having babies and fighting not. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? The real reckoning of our age, maybe of our lifetimes, is not only whether we will prevail over the virus. It's whether our respect for science and our collective will, so muscular during the crisis, will prevail when we reboot and rebuild. Looking back, Mother Earth was starting to clear her throat and make herself heard. Australian bushfires were ravaging the continent. Earth had registered its highest temperatures since records began. Icebergs and glaciers melted, popsicles in the sun. Maybe the biggest decision of all, now that the planet has essentially hissed, I will not be ignored, how do we confront the climate emergency? You know, the funny thing is, is every time we have somebody go on there and they say, this is God talking to us, we're told they're nut jobs. But you people twist everything to climate change, and thus our section today, the top 14 Celebrating the silver lining of the pandemic. Oh, it's so great, clean air. Number 14, finding the silver lining. Vladimir Druthier, CBS This Morning. I played a lot of these, so I'm not going to play the sound bites. Let's talk to you about Italy. Obviously, the country's people have been devastated by the coronavirus. But there's a little bit of silver lining in some of the historical cities. This is Venice. You can never see the water. Yeah, they lost all sorts of people that are dead, but the water. 13. Grateful to the pandemic for offering peak of how things can be. This is George Ramos. As the world takes a pause during the coronavirus pandemic, one thing hasn't stopped. 
Mother Nature in its glory. 12. See what we can do when we shut down all manufacturing? I'm a poor. Not playing it or talking about it. I played it. 11. Time to thank the, thank the virus for saving us some time. Bill Weir. Yeah, I want to thank the virus for killing people. Sure. Look at all the improvements the pandemic brought us. CBS Morning. Anthony Mason, ahead of this Earth Day, will show you the rapid and amazing environmental improvements taking place during the pandemic. We paid it, played it. Nine, finally, the bright spot of the pandemic. Natalie Allen on CNN Newsroom. People in northern Italy are getting a fresh look at the Himalayas. Remember that? Eight, humans, we are always the real virus. Here in New York and many other cities around the world, even underneath the mask, if you take a deep breath, you can tell the air is clearer, cleaner. I never breathed something and thought it was clearer. But okay. What are the unintended consequences of the shutdown? With fewer cars, planes, and factories, change is stunning. The murky waters of Venice, Wuhan, Milan, the Himalayas. Let's get it all in there. And Thompson, today's show. Seven. All those hard-working Venetians mucking up nature's tranquility. Still talking about fucking Venice. Six, coronavirus is a cure for climate change. I'm a poor. Five, time to celebrate Earth can get along fine without humans. Nora O'Donnell with her low-watched evening news. Four, hopefully pandemic taught us all a lesson about big business. It's good all and I'm a poor we, we played it. Pandemic is Mother's Nature's Revenge for Climate Change n- Deniers number three, Michael Moore. His video got taken away so I don't think he's a good source. Two, Mother Nature hissed at all of us. We played it last podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And number one, I'm sorry son, we screwed up all for you it was Bill Ware. We had to do it. We, we just had to replay it again. So we'll go into our liberal shit. And here's the CW. People aren't trying to get in our country right now because the media has done such a good job telling everybody that we are a cesspool of COVID and that we're not handling it well, even though 90% of the country is and it's just the Northeast. CW still talking about ice. Yeah, still. Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! It's Orteco. Arturo Orteco. He's my dad. And he's with the side. And beta blockers. I brought both. We can't take contraband here. But there is an infirmary on site if he's here. You know, out of curiosity, did Nabani Abienwi visit an infirmary before he died of a brain bleed in your custody? What about Joanna Medina Leon? She was 25 years old, okay? People walk through those doors and they die. That's enough, lady. We get it. <sighs> he, he doesn't have anything left in Mexico. No one. Nowhere to go. I can't think like that right now. 
I think like this always. Rosa and I used to recite our escape plan for if our parents got deported and we got separated in foster care. I begged my parents not to tell Santa where we lived because I was afraid he'd ask for papers. My whole life was built on a fear of this day coming and it's here. I'd kept better track of his health. He wouldn't need these tests. I should have made him move to California. Yeah, I thought we were safe being outside the hundred mile zone, but after this election, I should have known better. And I should have made him wear a sweater this morning because it's freezing out there. And what if he Liz, stop? Breathe, breathe. Okay. If you don't breathe, you're gonna work yourself into a panic attack. Just okay. Okay. Fucking let it go. Nets skip church burn for opening because they're too busy talking about Trump not wearing a mask. Showing their discontent for religious liberty and penchant for just being petty. The Thursday evening newscasts of ABC, CBS, and NBC refused to cover a Mississippi church burned to the ground Wednesday in an act of arson because they had sued to stay open. Instead, all three networks talked about his mask. Flames tore down the first Pentecostal church in Holly Springs, Mississippi, Wednesday morning. A month earlier at the church, had filed suit against the town challenging his restriction. In the destroyed structure, misspelled graffiti read, read, quote, Bet you stay home now, you hypocrites. We had a church burning. And because we couldn't make it look part of... A racial issue. They just ignored it. And it's Mississippi. I'm sure. There were African Americans that went to that church, folks. But once again, it was done by liberal terrorists. It's not even national news. Steve Pinker. Believer, belief in an afterlife is a malignant delusion. Since it devalues actual lives and discourages action that would make them longer, safer, and happier. Exhibit A, what's really behind Republicans wanting a swift reopening? Evangelicals. The world, you're an elitist bigot. That's a reporter. I I just don't understand how this is authorized on Twitter and our media. It never was. It's to the point now in our prog world that we live in in America on Twitter and in the media, it's like a scarlet letter to say you're a Christian. It's something that's wrong. Yet 80% of 90% of this country, but we'll say 85% is religious of some sort. They believe in a higher being. It's you small percentage of fucking liberal turds that aren't but you rule, which I don't know how it happened. I've tried to research, tried to do shows on it. I don't know when the tipping point was. I bet it was Bush. That's when it just flipped. New novel portrays alternate universe where Hillary is without baggage or Bill and she won the 2016 election. They're writing a novel. And then, of course, the big news is coming up is there's an autobiography coming out or a 
biography or documentary about Jane Roe, who literally was the person that pushed Roe v. Wade. And she was pro-life her whole life. But, yeah, the media was in full spin on this one. And now to the new documentary making headlines, a.k.a. Jane Roe, featuring never-before-seen interviews with Norma McCorvey, the Jane Roe of the title, who played a critical role in that landmark Supreme Court case, Roe v. Wade. And now she is making a stunning admission. Deborah Roberts has her story. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning, Amy. Norma McCorvey's life was filled with dramatic twists and turns. It's no wonder a lot of movies were made about her. She was deeply conflicted about her role in the, in the abortion debate, even aligning herself later in life with the anti-abortion movement. Well, now, in an astonishing confession on her deathbed, she admitted that that part of her life was all a lie. This is my deathbed confession. <laughs> <laughs> Norma McCorvey, the famous plaintiff behind Roe v. Wade, admitting for the first time on camera her decision to become an anti-abortion activist in the 90s was a scam, confessing she was paid by church officials to lie. I take their money and they put me out in front of the cameras and tell me what to say. Director Nick Sweeney highlighting her spirit and personality. If you're nice and quiet and polite, nobody pays any attention to you. And I like attention. She had this very, very quirky sense of humor. She was charming and she was right. Reflecting on her actions. I think that she was very motivated by this idea of setting the record straight and explaining who she really was. Everything I've ever written or read about, this is, she was the first person used for a cause. She wasn't really wrapped up and didn't want to be part of the cause, but she got brought into it and she was the prop. So now we're doing the pro-aborts pounce claim pro-life has always been built on lies. Well, those who knew her in the pro-life movement are skeptical and said she always seems sincere in her beliefs pointing to two decades worth of McCovey's pro-life activism. The documentary isn't even out yet, but still pro-abortion activists pounced on the news to indict the entire pro-life movement. GQ screamed the anti-abortion movement was always built on lies, says Jessica Valentini. The pro-life movement was always a con. The Guardian, Jane Rose deathbed confession exposed the immorality of Christian right. Going so far as to write, sadly it seems as though many anti-abortion extremists don't have much of a soul to lose in the first place. While the right claims to stand for morality and family values, they, as a.k.a. Jane Roe makes very clear, are more than happy to lie and cheat in order to propagate their fringe beliefs. But the most obnoxious victory lap taken so far was by salon resident pro-abortion feminazi Amanda Marcotte. She called McCorvey a sketchy character and said her original pro-life conversion was met with skepticism for pro-aborts, then went on to condemn the pro-life movement as a whole. But the main reason pro-choicers suspected the McCovey conversion was a sham wasn't about McCorvey character, but about the dynamics of the anti-choice movement in general. It's no exaggeration to say that anti-choice movement from tip to toe is stuffed with liars and grifters. Their entire raise de terre is telling lies often over-the-top melodramatic lies in service of sticking it to women, LGBT people, and liberals in general, general for not respecting the right of the religious right to dominate the rest of us. The anti-choice movement has always been run by lying trolls and always will be. 
They set the template for the rest of the conservative movement and paved the way for the rise of Donald Trump, whose presidential victory was a perfect summary of the fact that right-wing American politics has been become one big long con. You always got to get Trump in it, don't you? Marcotte spends a large chunk of her piece claiming that liberal media gives the pro-life movement a pass in their coverage. The overtop theatrical lies of the anti-choice movement are so comical that the mainstream media for decades has shied away from covering them too closely, likely out of fear that they're actually too ridiculous to be believed. But this born-alive mania has mostly been ignored by the mainstream media, except for the occasional gawking at Trump's weird rally stories. I suspect that happens because their tales are so grotesque and improbable that journalists fear their audience will think they made it all up. Instead, anti-choice activists get to glow up in mainstream coverage, presented as less hysterical and less prone to lies and bizarre fights of fancy than they actually are. How convenient. She forgets that it was pro-abortion Ralph Northam who started the Born Alive media with his defense of late-term abortion and talking keeping an infant comfortable while the parents have a discussion while the media rushed to memory hole the whole incident. Marcotte also oddly seems to think there's no such thing as an abortion survivor. Talk about being prone to bizarre flights of fancy. Regarding the story about Planned Parenthood selling baby parts, she laughingly claimed the mainstream media ran credulous stories bamboozled by their own decades of coverage falsely painting anti-choicers as serious-minded people instead of fundamentalist wackadoodles. Unsurprisingly, she repeated the false claim the video had been altered to make innocent people look guilty. Railing against the myth of the humble, righteous, anti-choice activist, Marcotte hopes this new wrinkle in McCovey's story will be the end of the pro-life Christian puff pieces of the media. The press should stop being fooled by the way anti-choicers hide behind the Bible and the cross and see them for what they are, bullies who are trying to make important medical care take important medical care away from the women at vulnerable moments in their lives. Perhaps the revelation that the anti-choicers literally brought off Norma McCovey and paid her to lie will help open up some eyes. Whatever, McCovey, true feelings, the fact remains abortion is not medical care. It's the intentional destruction of human life. We don't need to pay anyone to believe that. Embryologic textbooks will do just fine. This documentary is probably full of shit. But I, I'm, I don't know, I wasn't at her deathbed. But of course, a modern day thing, what do you think they're going to do with it? Who's making it? Pro-death. Every once in a while, the left realizes what they're doing. The Portland Mercury. How Oregon's radical reproductive health laws ignited an anti-abortion campaign. Funded abortions. That's where it started. That's where it started. There were six pieces out, out this week pretty much saying that... It's all built on a lie. And the one from GQ, this is the correction she had to do. 521, an earlier version of this piece misstated that George Wallace was a Republican. We regret the error. You don't even know who George Wallace is. He was a used racist. But you're so stupid and young and an idiot that you buy anything that the left tells you, which is what you're saying the right does for the pro-life movement 
and you just assumed a guy who was a huge racist has to be a Republican. Because your entire life, you were told by Democrats, Republicans in the South are all racist. And you don't even know what Dixiecrats are. Or that Jim Crow is Democrats. Or any of that shit. Because you're an idiot. So, I I expect more pieces. I'm going to watch the documentary, and then I'll, I'll do a review. New York Times. In opinion, if you care about the working poor, about racial justice, and about climate change, you have to stop eating animals, says Safrar 4. Here's the article. We're here again, man. Do we need animal protein? No. We can live longer, healthier lives without it. Many American adults eat roughly twice the recommended intake of protein, including vegetarians, who consume 70% more than they need. People who eat diets high in animal protein are more likely to die of heart disease, diabetes, and kidney failure. Of course, meat like cake could be part of a healthy diet. But no sound nutritionist would recommend eating cake too often. If we let the factory farm system collapse, will farmers suffer? No. The corporations that speak in their name will exploit them well. Them will. There are fewer American farmers today than there were during the Civil War, despite America's population being 11 times greater. This is not an incident, an accident, but a business model that ultimately dreams of animal agricultural industry complex is for farms to be fully automated. Transitioning towards plant-based foods and sustainable farming practices would create many more jobs. You guys always say that. You said that during the bust. Told us all to learn to code. I'm just going to cut to the chase. My bacon says you're wrong, and my dog's chicken kibble, too. That's it. That was a reply, and I laughed so hard. I was like, yep, there you go. And I was eating bacon myself for dinner last night when this came out. So let's go to our lighter fare. This one is probably, you've probably already seen it or heard it, but some wizard decided to talk about social distancing and talk about don't touch other people's balls. I mean, I mean, come the fuck on. Unless they're from the same, same household, has to bring their own tennis balls so that you don't touch other people's tennis balls um, with your hands. You can kick their balls, but you can't touch them. I'm going to blush, sorry. Um, of course, if you're, if you're playing with someone in your household, you can touch those tennis balls. Uh, to, avoid confu- to avoid confusion between whose balls are whose, you can use a marker, like a Sharpie, to mark out to put an X and put someone's initials on that. Um, I would just say- yeah, you didn't think that out very well. Other lighter fare, Washington Post article still is going on with Stacey Abrams. But the funny thing is people are starting to meme the fucking shit out of it. And somebody made her the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. And I just lost it. I wish, this is one of those times I wish it was a video. And if it was a YouTube channel, this would be in the background. Alright, I'd keep it on the background. Because it's just too goddamn funny. So, I didn't cover Flynn. And I was going to, but we've we've hit a lot of it, and I decided, you know, I'm not gonna. Um, I'll just do it as, this is America. So, 
our next soundbite is pretty much summing up everything. You know, we started with Twitter once again censoring people so they can't hurt Brian Seltzer's feelings. And then we're admitting everything that is coming out that's showing that pretty much everything you've been told by CNN is a fucking lie. You know, Cuomo didn't do a good job. And we're going to end with this, with Claire McCaskill. There is no corruption. The Nets and NBC just loving Obama and saying how awesome it is and they hope he does more of it. And somehow NBC taking that and it goes perfectly together to this lockdown shit, it's going to lead to mass shootings. And I... I just think it's like the last death gasp of trying to scare people in their homes because most of us are over it. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they... This is America in 2019. And I think there are going to be three metrics that this president is deathly afraid of, to use an unfortunate phrase. He's going to be afraid of the unemployment numbers in September and October. And so far, the complicated and Byzantine the stimulus that has been put forward has not eased unemployment. And that's the measure here, not the stock market. How many people are in bread lines and how many people don't have jobs and how many people have lost health care? That's the measure. And then how many, what is the daily body count in September and October? How many people are dying every day from this virus in September and October? And how many new cases are showing up every day? Uh, there's no way there'll be a vaccine before September or October. So what is the president's playbook looking down that tunnel? His playbook is to go to what worked for him in 2016 and is to lie about his opponent. And what that thing was with the senators, I've got to get this in. What that thing was with the senators yesterday, he went to that lunch to tell them to lie for him. You've got to lie about Barack Obama and Joe Biden. You've got to turn them in to something they are not. You've got to make them criminals. He wants to get to the point where they're chanting lock them up at his rallies about Obama and Biden, who have done nothing illegal, nothing, nothing, not even close, not a hint of corruption during eight years of Barack Obama. No wholesale firing of inspector generals. So I really think it's startling that he is so panicked that he felt the need to go down there to shore up the Republicans. Now, you guys got to get tougher and lie. You mean, Shalcindor, the look, former President Obama, had, you know, he's careful with his words. That's a written speech. That's a vetted speech. He made this decision to engage. It is going to spark a political back and forth. 
It is, but I think what we see now is President Obama really getting into general election territory and starting to gear up the, the might of the Obama name. He is ready for this fight. He was at first caught really on a private call talking to staffers, and he was trying to get them excited about Joe Biden, saying that President Trump's um, response to the coronavirus was a chaotic disaster. That was, of course, President Obama's direct word. So what you see there is President Obama coming to the defense of his vice president and coming to his own defense without asking actually directly talking about this conspiracy theory that President Trump is now talking about, which is whether or not President Trump broke some, or President Obama broke some sort of law. And Peter Alexander, I, I, you know, one thing about President Trump, some people overread his, what he does as strategy, but I think some people um, under look at some of his moves about strategy. He seems to be wanting to make Obama as polarizing as he possibly can. He clearly seems to be nervous that Obama could be an effective surrogate for Biden. Yeah, Chuck, I think you're exactly right. I mean, President, former President Barack Obama remains the most popular political figure in the country right now. And it's obvious, you can read right into it, the White House officials will tell you as much that the president's trying to chip away at that popularity, try to make the former president a polarizing of course, President Trump spent the week going after the Obama administration. He is trying to soften up Obama, trying to make him uh, polarizing, trying to uh, sort of reignite um, some sort of partisan and polarizing view of Barack Obama. His sort of obsession with Obama at times has always been a distraction. And I think some of the biggest unforced errors he's made politically are when he's this goes down these rabbit holes all involving Barack Obama. This is a dangerous yeah. moment for the president politically because if he looks like he's so obsessed with Obama and he's not focused on the recovery. In a virtual commencement ceremony, former President Barack Obama delivering a real-world criticism of the Trump administration's response to coronavirus. This pandemic has fully, finally torn back the curtain on the idea that so many of the folks in charge know what they're doing. Barack Obama, are we more likely to see more of him as we head into November now? I think it's only just begun. What you're now seeing is President Obama begin his effort, I think, to become Joe Biden's chief surrogate uh, in this campaign for president, stepping out first with these not so veiled comments about the president's uh, COVID response. I think you're going to see more of that. Former President Barack Obama off the sidelines, taking on the Trump administration. Obama saying he'll do everything he can to get his vice president into the Oval Office. Former President Barack Obama is criticizing the response to the coronavirus, stepping further into this 2020 campaign. In a pair of virtual graduation speeches over the weekend, the former president urged this year's graduates to do better. One spokesman over the weekend told me the former president is a, quote, force and will be an enormous asset for Democratic candidates across the country through Election Day. We're seeing some hints here of how big a role Obama will play in the Biden campaign. Sources tell ABC that former President Obama plans to weigh in more than he has been in the past, and we're told he will not be pulling any punches. Obama's criticism does come, of course, after he formally endorsed Joe Biden, a sign of things to come as the presidential race starts to ramp up. There are late developments tonight after a shooting rampage at a recently reopened mall near Phoenix. With more, here's Gotti Schwartz. At an Arizona mall in its first weeks of reopening, horror in the parking lot. Police say the masked gunman stalked the shopping center in just outside of Phoenix. Police running, helicopters in the air, we're hiding in the back. The suspect shooting and injuring three people before surrendering to police. Authorities say he has confessed. He said that he went to Westgate to target victims. He wanted to gain some respect. 
He was planning to harm 10 victims. Prosecutors charging 20-year-old Armando Hernandez Jr. with aggravated assault. His home raided by police as witnesses who saw the shooting ask why. Your kid, why would you do something like this? It's been nearly three months since America has seen a high-profile active shooter, and the temporary reprieve during the pandemic is now over. But authorities say this one could have been a lot worse. The pandemic very likely could have possibly uh, been a lifesaver tonight because of the small... It's almost criminal. It's just almost criminal because, I mean, they don't even look at the facts. They're not looking at anything. They're just spinning and doing what they did so they could get elected and doing what they did for his whole term in office. It's racist. Everything negative towards Obama is racist. And I think that's why, you know, Biden's, there's an ulterior motive to, you know, him getting a black VP. Female, they'll be able to, they know what's coming at them is what they did to Pence. It's been as brutal as Trump. But they can just insert sexist, racist. It's all they do. Instead of actually suffering pushback that they give to everybody I hate to keep beating the horse they erect safe spaces on Twitter and use the wordsmith that's racist that's sexist then and our this is America are the things your media is not gonna put out because they refuse to put out anything devious on the left so We'll have a thousand articles that Roe v. Wade and fucking, you know, pro-lifers are all fucking bigot pieces of shit. In the religion of progressivism, there is no higher being. None. I mean, you can't find a higher being than Apple. I mean, it's like the holy Bible to the left. Well, guess what they decided to do? Matt in Oregon, you probably already know. Apple sneaks COVID-19 contact tracing into the latest phone update without telling anybody. If you install updates on your phone without reading the details, you might get an unwanted surprise. The latest involved contact tracing technology, in theory, will notify users when they have entered the presence of a person with coronavirus. This project was begun an effort to protect people and get society back up and running, according to an April 10th announcement. Even if this technology supposedly works, surveys have shown that three in five Americans are either unable or entirely unwilling to use that technology. Veteran and MMA champion Paul Lazaby condemned this update. Contact tracing slipped discreetly in your latest iOS update. No notice given, no attention drawn to it. I wonder how many people really understand what a terrifying sign this is. He acknowledged that there appears to be an option to toggle the tracing technology off, but even then, without the technology, would stop tracking you without your consent is unknown. Google, with this coordinated with Apple to lay the groundwork for this contact tracing system, has a history of tracking users even after they believe they deactivated. Senator Josh Hockley had previously scorched Google's Senior Privacy Counsel Will DeVries on March 2019 hearing for the fact he complained that Google technology still monitors customers even if they say to shut it off. But now this is what they've done. 
because they and the left will do anything to do that. And you say, well, this is a little thing, Tony. It may save lives. Yeah. If somebody has an Apple phone, maybe it'll save you from going in their house if they don't want to tell you they had COVID. But what's next? This person once voted for Trump. Don't think they won't do that. This person's a Christian. To them, that's the same thing. I mean, the only honorable thing to them is to have AIDS. Because once again, they don't think those people should be singled out. But you have COVID, you're supposed to be singled out. Remember, these are the same people that say, if I have AIDS and I go fuck a bunch of people, I should suffer no recourse. I didn't do anything wrong. What did I do wrong? You're going to stigmatize me by making me have to report to people that I am HIV positive. It's a stigma. Shouldn't happen. And then, super-liberal Carl Quintanella brings us what the media will not touch because it goes against what the Democrats need, a destroyed fucking economy. Devastating analysis that lockdowns were harmful. Harmful. Quintanella, if I could speak, tweeted a Wednesday about a J.P. Morgan financial guru named Marco Kalavanik publishing a devastating piece arguing the infection rate have declined, not increased in states where lockdowns have ended, even after allowing for the appropriate measure lag. What's good news, not devastating news, unless, of course, you believe the lockdown didn't save thousands of lives, yet at least temporarily devastated the economy. Will there be a wave of revisionism that the entire world clamped down too hard? This looks devastating if you're a media outlet endlessly pressing for a lockdown, claiming Wall Street wants human sacrifice. The trend is devastating to all the Florida filleting and Georgia shaming journalists. The same trend goes for various countries unrelated to often inconsistent lockdown measures. Here's where the anchor's devastating language is defined. Lockdowns might not only cause economic devastation, potentially more deaths than COVID itself. That's certainly not the media's take. At the end of the day, they show people stuck in their house infected other people. It didn't help. Initially, to bend the curve, yeah. But then, it went south. So just in this episode, we didn't report the fleeing, the New York Times did, front page, by the way, It'll never be touched again. And that's spread it all over the goddamn southeast. We didn't do the nursing homes. And we didn't do the lockdown was actually dangerous. That's just one episode. If we added up over the last four years, how many things they did not report compared to the lies they did report, and makes you quander, which is, I guess, ponder with a Q? (laughs) What the fuck is our media doing? 
Do we even have a media? Or do we just have propaganda? So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send emails to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, Tune Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Downcast, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Facebook page at FOP Podcast and the Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. We're going to go with the next podcast on the 30th of May. No, not the 30th. I'm sorry. The 27th of May, Year of Our Lord 2020. It'll be a Wednesday show. I hope you all take time to recognize somebody you have lost for this Memorial Day weekend. I'm going to watch a NASCAR race without a crowd. I'm not really into NASCAR, but I'm going to give it a go because it would be kind of weird. And it's interesting NASCAR is doing it, nobody else is. And I think all of us have said, why can't you play basketball? Why can't you play baseball? Why can't you do an NFL game with no audience? We'll still watch it. People still bet on it. It'll still be a good deal. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Enjoy this time with your family and tune in Wednesday for another show. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember... It's a short ride. Makes every day count. I'm the sun and the air of the shyness that is criminally broken. I'm the sun and air of nothing in particular.